Now all across North Carolina, it's Carolina Newsmakers. Here's your host, Don Curtis. Well, welcome back to Carolina Newsmakers. Uh, We're delighted to be back, and we're also delighted to have Representative John Bell, who's the House Majority Leader of the uh, North Carolina House of Representatives. Uh, He represents District 10, which is basically Green, Johnson, and Wayne Counties. And uh, John, we're delighted to have you here and uh, want to talk about uh, state government and the current legislative session and some of the things that uh, you think are going to be priorities and things that are going to happen this year and things that ought to happen and the odds of them happening. Well, we can talk about all of them. It's it's very nice to be here and uh, look forward to the discussion today. Well, uh, this is uh, uh, an interesting year. Uh, You are now in your, what, fourth term? Fourth term. Fourth term. And somebody told me it takes about two terms to just sort of figure out the lay of the land. Well, I'm still trying to figure it out. Uh, I, when I got to the General Assembly back in, uh, in 2013, walked in the door, and the first thing you had to do, and we joke about it, is uh, if you've been in the legislative building, it can be very confusing. And so we always say, uh, well, the first thing you do is figure out how to get out, and the second thing you do is figure out where the bathroom is. If you can get those two, then you've had a, a good, successful first day. But, uh, you, you know, the, the, the thing that I try to do at the General Assembly is, is one um, – Every time you walk in, in, in those chambers, uh, I always take a moment to look around and understand the importance of, of what it is to be elected to that body. You know, I'm one of 120 members that they get to sit in that chamber and help make decisions that affect over 10 million people here in the state of North Carolina. So, so that's something that, uh, that, that, you, that you take very seriously. But um, the, the, the other part is, is uh, try to learn something every day. You know, our, our state is a growing state. Uh, our state is... Um, is, is is very diverse from from the from the coast to the mountains. People actually don't realize how how very long our state is. Yes, uh, long and narrow. And, and there's a uh, there's a lot of land and territory in between the mountains and the coast. And and learning the issues because what affects eastern North Carolina is different than what affects western North Carolina. And what what affects downtown Raleigh is completely different than what what affects little town Eureka we talked about um, off the air. So. So I'm trying trying to learn the different parts of the state and how to make good decisions is something that, that we try to do on a daily basis. Well, we've also talked numerous times on this program about how diverse our state is also in, in areas of uh, uh, growth and non-growth, actually population losses in some areas. We have some very large counties and we have some very small counties, and each one has very unique and different problems. Uh, and I'm sure you wrestle with that all the time. I do. When I first got elected, uh, I, I got elected to serve in, in House District 10, uh, and that district at the time was um, parts of Wayne, Green, Lenore, and Craven County. So I went right through the heart of eastern North Carolina. And, and, and of course, you know, with the, the Hurricane Matthew and Hurricane Florence and the issues we faced there, uh, not, not just the storms but the flooding and then the agriculture issues, and, um, and of course the loss of population has been, uh, has been some challenges. But now with the new redistricting, uh, I, I get all of Green, a lot more of Wayne, which I'm very used to. But now uh, I move into a little bit of Johnston County, which is the fastest growing state, in, uh, fastest growing county in the state. You know, over somewhere around 300 new residents a month. So, so it, it's it's amazing just a shift in a district line or just going to a different county. The, the different issues that each of the counties have. Well, you you have sort of the, the all three rolled into one. You have Wayne, which is sort of a, a just a kind of an average county, and then you've got Johnston County that's growing like heads and toes, and then you've got Green County, which is uh, one of the counties that's probably losing population. Green County. Green County is a small county. Uh, so it's a, it's a 100% agriculture county. Uh, you know, we, we, we do have um, 
a, a very large complex of state prisons in the Mar Mar area. So we do have to address some of the concerns that are going on with our prison system. But um, for the main part, the largest economic impact there is agriculture, of course, as it is in our state. So uh, so we have sweet potatoes and and uh, and and uh, livestock there in Greene County. Then you move into Wayne County. And uh, not only is agriculture the main point, but also we have um, an entity there that we're very proud of, and that's the uh, Seymour Johnson Air Force Base with the fourth, uh, the fourth fighter wing with the with the Strike Eagles. So, uh, so, and then you move into Johnston County, and you know, we can't can't keep up. Yep, yep. It's it's, it's that, and it's kind of like this. Uh, uh, we've got what twenty twenty five counties that are growing very rapidly, about uh, twenty five or so that are sort of holding their own, mm-hmm. and then uh, another fifty counties that. Uh, Maybe several. So uh, let's let's take a uh, just give us an overview because during the program we'll go into a little bit more detail. But just uh, an overview of what you think this session of the General Assembly is facing, and then later on the program we'll probably go into a little deeper dive on each of the so, issues. So we have a different dynamic in the General Assembly for the last uh, six years since I've been there. Um, Republicans had a supermajority, uh, which is uh, seventy uh, over seventy two members um, in the House. Now we're we're dealing with a more, I would say, d- divided chamber. Uh, you're looking at 65 Republicans, 55 Democrats. So that dynamic and the makeup of the political landscape has changed. Also, we have um, Republican majorities in the House and Senate, and, and and then working with a Democrat governor. So so that that's always interesting and and has challenges along the way. But um, but it also provides us an opportunity to to to, to really focus on governing and, and working with this, uh, with, with what. We think are the main points of what the citizens led us to do. Uh, first and foremost, uh, you know, the, the big issue that we rolled out yesterday, and, uh, and we'll roll out again today, was on um, broadband and um, broadband access. And we have a lot of areas in eastern North Carolina and western North Carolina, but overall, rural North Carolina, that you know fall along that urban-rural divide is what they say that you know, having access to internet is a is a major issue for economic development. We've had a number of uh, different people from different walks of life and different professions have all mentioned that as a big need. It is a big need, and, and, and it's something that you know some of our, our, our urban legislators, uh, you know, really don't understand. They understand, but it's not as important. But they understand that if, if we want to grow equity, equity across across the state, that we have to address. Uh, our, our agriculture, agriculture represents our second, our first largest economic impact here in the state. Uh, $87 billion in growing. Commissioner Troxler said numerous times he wants to get it over $100 billion. Uh, so we've uh, rolled out the Farm Act yesterday, and so you're, you're going to see a push there, and that's another bipartisan push uh, that, that you'll see. Uh, of course, two main ones, um, education and how we address uh, the education system and, and growing and the good things that are going on there. And then, of course, health care. Uh, health care is a big issue, and um, and you know, and, and, and the growing um, need of not only affordable health care, but also access to health care. Uh, so so, so you, you'll see a number of bills that, um, that prioritize around that over the, over the session. And, of course, the state budget is the biggest bill that we pass. Uh, we're in the beginning of a long session. So, so we'll, we'll put together a, state, a, a new two-year budget for the state of North Carolina. Health care is particularly interesting because it's complicated by the fact that the federal government has so much to do with it. And sometimes the state government ends up being reactive to whatever the federal government is doing. And, and so that we, complicates that issue. It does. Uh, health care is, is very complicated because there's no one answer. Uh, you, you can't just say, well, this fixes it. And the big talk now is, um, and, and the governor's pushed this, expanding Medicaid, expand Medicaid, it fixes it. 
Well, well, my argument that is is um, why expand a government subsidized program when the actual problem is access to care and affordable health care? Uh, we've done polls across the state, and and as I've traveled across the state. People are concerned about access to care. They're also concerned about the, the affordability of care. You know, um, you know, how can I afford basic health care coverage for my family? Um, business owners across the state are sitting there saying, you know, you know my, my largest expense now is, is trying to afford health care if I'm able to even do that for, for my employees. So, so, you know, addressing that is, is the main issue. Uh, in, in rural areas, and it's actually kind of we we had this discussion last week with some folks. Um, you know, I thought it was more of a rural area problem, but um, but I was also introduced to some of our um, folks in the urban areas that said access to care is just as a, just as a critical issue, in, in some of our urban areas as it is in our rural areas. You know, getting um, re- recruiting and retaining for f- physicians and medical professionals to come into these areas to serve the population. Uh, in rural areas, we have people that um. They may have to drive 45 minutes to an hour and a half for basic health care needs. Uh, those, those are areas that, uh, that we're going to try to address this year in, in, the, in the long session. And hopefully we'll, we'll make some steps. And, you know, a lot of things that we do are a process. It's not just a, a one bill and it's fixed answer. So this will start that process on what we can do to, to address those issues. But, but then trying to balance an act of working w- with the federal government and, and understanding the, the mandates that they send down, uh, send down to us and addressing those as well. Uh, I get criticized because very often during a long session like this, I don't reintroduce our guests and somebody joins the program. So uh, let me uh, reintroduce the fact that we're talking to Representative John Bell, who's the House Majority Leader of the North Carolina House. It's in session, long session. Uh, let's, let's uh, you know, one of the things that's interesting about uh, uh, broadband is some of the people who uh, you, you're talking about how important it is, it helps in health care. It does, because uh, there is a lot of things that can be done uh, to give access to those areas that don't have major uh, access to, uh, especially specialties. Uh, all of a sudden, information can be transmitted. Uh, they can have uh, teleconferences mm-hmm. and medicine by by uh, internet. And uh, you know, one of my good friends in the General Assembly is Representative Jason Sane, and one of the bills he's working on right now is uh, telehealth. And so, so how how can we uh, expand telehealth and being able so so someone can come in? Of course, you need to have the internet access yep. to be able to do that, and, and actually be able to be be seen by a professional, um, may, maybe a specialist, um, virtue of online to go ahead and address those concerns before they have to travel in to to a major hospital or or, or come into some of our large areas. Well, it's interesting how many different areas broadband assists and helps. Uh, you mentioned agriculture. Again, mm-hmm. uh, access to broadband uh, helps even the small farmer, let well, alone the large well, farmer. Well, a lot of people don't realize that a lot of our, our agriculture equipment and our – let's just break it down to our tractors. Um, when, you're, when, you're, when you're planting crops and, and, uh, and, and laying out how you're going to um, – you know, plant that seed in the in, in the field. A lot of that's done with GPS and internet coordination, and uh, of course the 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 banking and the bookkeeping to make the farm successful. Yep. They have to have internet access as well. So, and the detailed weather information now, which is so so uh, detailed now, it just uh, makes. Uh, well, the, well, the well un- unfortunately, issues. this year we have uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well. it's, it's, it's been nothing but rain. Yeah. So, so, so you just had to walk outside to see what day. It's, uh, it's not raining, and, and then you, you go. 
Well, the Honorable Mr. Troxler said, you know, we can handle too little rain, but we can't handle too much. Exactly. Exactly. Our guest is Representative John Bell, House Majority Leader, and we will be back with another session right after these messages. Hi, everybody. I'm Susie Orman with an important message from the FDIC about keeping your money safe and sound. Recently, I got a letter from a woman who told me she took all of her money out of the bank and put it in a shoebox in her closet. What was she thinking? That's not a safe thing to do. You know what I told her? Put it back in the bank now. If your money is in an FDIC member bank and you stay within coverage limits, you have no reason to worry. You can't lose a penny no matter what. That's a lot safer than a shoebox, if you ask me. How can you make sure your money is totally FDIC protected? If I were you, I would want to know that. So here's what I want you to do. Go to myfdicinsurance.gov and click on Edie the Estimator and find out. That's Edie the Estimator at myfdicinsurance.gov. Go there today. Because the more you know, the safer your money. Thank you for keeping our country free. I'm happy you looked out for our country. It seems we are all more aware of what service to our country really means. Does anyone know what a veteran is? You must be brave to go in the Army. Now it is possible to say thank you directly to America's veterans. Just log on to thankyouveterans.org, select an e-card, and send a personal message of thanks. Please know that you will be in my prayers always. I wanted to do something to let them know how I feel. I'm glad to say I'm an American because of you. There are 26 million veterans living in America, from World War II to Afghanistan in Iraq. Let a veteran or someone in the military know you appreciate their service. Visit thankyouveterans.org, a public service of Paralyzed Veterans of America. We continue with Carolina Newsmakers. Here's Don Curtis. We're back on Carolina Newsmakers. Our guest is House Majority Leader uh, John Bell, uh, John Bell the Fourth. Uh, you know, we don't have many fourths around. We've got no, some trips, and no, I know a couple. Um, is is a matter of fact, uh, I was doing um, some 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 research in in the family. Uh, genealogy seems to be something a lot of people are doing these days with the with the online portals of of, of looking up your your family history. And uh, I thought I was the first one in, in politics in my family, and I stumbled across an old picture from the Facing newspaper years ago. With my my grandfather was actually one of the town commissioners, uh, John Bell Jr. So, um, so, so that, that was pretty interesting. A number of years ago, I guess uh, probably beginning with your first session, the General Assembly, they be, uh, the General Assembly began to look at tax reform in North mm-hmm. Carolina, and this has been, as you said a few moments ago, a process. Uh, has it worked out pretty much like uh, you were hoping? It has. Um, we, we've actually gone to to other states and and talked about what we've done here that's been successful in North Carolina. But but I'll just recap for for the listeners on what what we've done. Uh, about six years ago, we we looked at North Carolina tax tax code and what was happening, and uh, we had become uh, a, a state and, uh, and frankly, our tax codes kept us from being competitive. And so, how do you uh, address that? How do you address the corporate tax and the state income tax? Uh, and still be able to, um, to, to, to be competitive. And so what we did is uh, we actually um, we, we, cut, we cut taxes, but at the same time you can't just cut taxes. If you look at what happened in Kansas, they cut taxes but failed to 
cut spending and ended up in a, in a bind. And so, 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 so we, we, we cut those taxes, we, 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 we spread the base out through the sales tax, and we put trigger mechanisms in place. So, so once revenues were, um, were coming into the state and we had a surplus, that trigger will reduce the state income tax. And that's why people are seeing more money in their paycheck these days in a reduction in the state income tax. And also, it also did a reduction in the corporate tax. Our, our goal is, is to get that to, to do the best we can to get it to a zero corporate tax and a zero state income tax. But that's going to be a process. Um, and where that comes into play is also not only in uh, what it does for the economy, but it's a great incentive to recruiting new industry and new jobs. It, it, it does, and along with our tax code, and, and, uh, and I'm actually going to be visiting him uh, a little later today uh, at the time, uh, Speaker Tom Tillis. Um, instituted a regulatory reform committee because, as we know, taxes are one thing, but uh, really burdensome regulations can stifle business. So, so uh, Speaker Tillis uh, introduced that, and then, of course, when um, Tim Moore became speaker, he continued that. So that's something that's been going on for the last eight years. And, uh, and so tying the regulatory side along with the tax burden side has been really successful for our state. Now you're seeing uh, our, our budgets have surpluses every year. Uh, you're seeing reserves in places where we didn't have reserves before. Uh, you, you're seeing companies moving into the state of North Carolina. You're seeing people moving into the state of North Carolina. We continue to be ranked on Forbes and other um, you know, f- financial uh, magazines and websites and as being one of the best places to do business. Uh, we uh, Part of the influx of people that we've seen come into our state are, are job-related, and, and we're constantly having uh, – um, entities and businesses come in and meet with us about coming to North Carolina. Uh, we're very blessed geographically because you can be in the mountains in about two and a half hours, and you can be at the coast in about depends on where you live. Uh, uh, we've got you know, great weather. If you don't like it, stick around for twenty four hours because it's going to change. Uh, so, so we're we're very blessed with the um, the the the, the God given resources we have here. And then you factor it with a tax code. We become a very, very attractive place for people to, to grow. So, so uh, myself and Speaker Moore and our finance chairs have, have traveled to other states. We were down in Arkansas uh, last year talking with them, and a, and a, uh, the governor there put a bipartisan task force together to look at uh, how they address tax reform in Arkansas. Uh, they're doing it right now in Louisiana. I've been invited to go down uh, to Louisiana to, to talk with their General Assembly. And, and we were actually held as a, as a standard of what to do. Uh, I, I was joined by Oklahoma and Kansas and others that, that were, were examples of what not to do. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but having those discussions and seeing uh, you know, you know, how, how really fortunate we are that it has worked here. And, but it's a process, and it's something that we're, we address every year. We're looking at, at it right now. I don't think this session you'll see any extreme tax breaks, but uh, I think you'll see a, a – a, um, a a constant maintaining of, of 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 where we're at and continuing to address some of the issues and loopholes that we've been able to identify over the last six years. Well, there's two two sides to uh, job uh, growth and so forth. First of all, of course, uh, you know we typically look at job growth, uh, 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 population growth. As average citizen doesn't realize that actually you're adding taxpayers, which adds more money to the state government because they're anything. And the second thing that's happening in North Carolina particularly is the jobs we're bringing in are higher-paying jobs than those that, that we're losing. Absolutely. I, I talked to a company uh, a few weeks ago, and um, they're, they're based in California, 
and they have five subsidiary companies. Uh, and of course, the the first thing that they were attracted to is uh, our, our tax codes and, and our, our tax um, base here in North Carolina. Second was our university system. Uh, you know, they have to be able to to to, to re- recruit and retain a well educated and prepared workforce. So so coming to the Research Triangle Park is very attractive then. Now with their subsidiary companies, but because they want to move them here as well, uh, it you know you're you're looking at areas in rural North Carolina, uh, where in some areas you have let's just take for one example your median household income is around around forty thousand a year. You go into some of the the more rural parts of our state where you know thirty two to thirty five thousand a year is a median household income, and these jobs are coming in at fifty, sixty, seventy thousand starting pay. Uh, I know there's been companies announced over the last two years that you know their average pay is around eighty to a hundred thousand um, dollars. That that's a huge economic boom to to the area because people don't realize that if if you know these companies are coming in, they're hiring our our good North Carolinians. Uh, people have more money in their pocket. They're they're going to buy gas and knickknacks and and go to restaurants and and now now that one time a week they're eating out may result in two or three times and uh and it has a a reciprocal effect and that's why you're seeing business boom here in north carolina well as you said we've got all the advantages i've been guilty of being sort of uh looking at north carolina through uh, rose-colored glasses but i always tell people there's only three kinds of people people who live in north carolina people who wish they lived in north carolina and people that don't know about it and, <laughs> uh, it, it was very interesting you mentioned that the company i referred to that was um, coming from california is uh you know um they're, they're actually relocating people from from california and and, and new york to, to come into north carolina because because uh, they found it and then they, <laughs> they loved it yeah. once they got here well, you, you know, you mentioned the university system, and uh, it's got its uh, a, a series of problems, and uh, and uh, uh, but it is one of the crown jewels. And as you travel around to the other states, uh, people fail to uh, the average person in North Carolina just doesn't realize how our university system is envied by all the other states in the country. It is. Uh, I'm I'm very blessed in the area I, I live in. I'm I'm an hour from from East Carolina University. Uh, what the Brody School of Medicine at ECU has done for rural health care is, is a story that should be told and we should be so proud of. Uh, that entity alone has put doctors in all 100 counties. Uh, you tied in with the dental school that not just has a presence in Greenville, but also throughout the state. Uh, you know, you know it's, it's been amazing. You, you travel down where, where I'm really proud of is, is UNCW and the growth has grown there. I, of course, I'm an alumni. And, uh, and 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 the impact that that's having to our coastal communities in southeastern North Carolina, and Appalachian been a, State, and, 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 and the you, list goes on. Yeah, you, you, you got to cruise on over. Yeah. But I, I'll tell you one huge success story that I, I encourage people to go see is on um, what's happening at, uh, at at UNC Pembroke. Uh, we have been able to to work with the folks at UNC Pembroke, but it started from a group of of community leaders that got together and said, "Hey, you know, we've got to." We've got to bring jobs to our community. We've got to improve the education system. Uh, they went out and uh, and helped recruit a chancellor, Robin Cummings, that came in. And then, and, and UNC Pembroke and what's going on there is a huge success story. But then, of course, you have our, our two major flagships here, uh, UNC, University of North Carolina, and what they've done. Um, well, I mean, they're they're actually larger than our state because they, they, they help affect um, our whole country. 
and, and, and what the graduates are turning out there and the medical professionals. And, and the research dollars they bring in is the, incredible. The research dollars is, is amazing. And, of course, you travel a couple miles uh, to the east from Chapel Hill, and you've got North Carolina State University, and what they're doing to feed a hungry world is absolutely amazing. And those two uh, flagships, as far as uh, research, are sort of tied together at the hip because so many things that uh, are grants uh, at Chapel Hill depend on a program or two at state and vice versa. We are, we are truly an envy of the country, of our university system, and um, and uh, I encourage our in-state residents to take full advantage of the opportunities yeah. they have here for their higher education needs. Well, it is, and it's a balanced uh, thing because, uh, uh, as you said, you pointed out, the regional universities that do so much for their regions, and then you've got the two flagships, and it works well together, and uh, that's uh, sometimes it's a little hard to balance out uh, where you put the dollars, but the truth of the matter is both of them need, uh, need, need we the We do, and, and, and that, that there are priorities on our budgeting list, and uh, you know, I, I would be um, – uh, I would have some people upset if I also didn't mention our fabulous community college system. Oh, oh yes. Uh, and, and what our community college no. system and putting the tools and retraining folks and, uh, and adapting and moving throughout all our communities. Uh, we're, we're, the education system we have, and, and there's people that say we have problems, and, and of course there, there's problems everywhere. But for what, what's going on in North Carolina with K-12 education, our community college system, our universities, is uh, it, it's truly a, a gem and uh, – and it's something that we should be proud of. Well, and, and as we talked a good, as you said, we talked a good bit about the university system, but especially in, in job development, uh, the community college system plays such a vital role in training and, and retraining. And, and people need to uh, also understand that we're going to roll out a 24, 20, uh, tw- I believe it's $24.3 billion budget this year. 57% of that budget is education. And that is K-12. That's our community college system. That, that, is, that is also our university system. That's not counting our pre-K programs, which come out of health and human service side, so you add that to additional. So close to 60% of our state budget uh, is based on education. I want to change and talk a little bit about the so-called rainy day fund, which uh, very often has been used for weather emergencies. Mm -hmm. But it's more than that because in a state that has a balanced budget requirement, you're always going to have ups and downs in the economy. And actually, the rainy day fund is – uh, is a, an insurance policy against all sorts of things, not just weather emergencies. It's been known, I guess, for that. But the term rainy day s- sort of implies that it's just for weather emergencies. It, you know, when, when we came in, when, when, I, when I came into Raleigh back in 2013, we looked at some of the issues that we were facing, and we, we did not have reserves. And I, as anyone knows, uh, you know, you know uh, when, when times are good, times are good. But when times are bad, you you, you need to you need to prepare for those. And so when we look at whether it was our unemployment insurance, I'll take that for example. We had about a two point five billion dollar debt that we owe to the federal government. Uh, I, that's not good. Um, our rainy day reserves, uh, as you call it, our, our state savings account, ha- have been depleted. Uh, we did not have reserves in our Medicaid rolls, and so we were we were finding shortfalls all throughout state government. So, so the first thing that, that we did, and, and I'll, I'll, I'll give her credit, is uh, Representative Julia Howard took on the task of, uh, of trying to fix our unemployment insurance. And, uh, you know, of course, that, that went into um, working with, you know, with then Representative Falwell, who's now Treasurer Falwell, uh, and, and they, they teamed up to really make this happen. And, and the work Representative Howard did not only repay that debt back in record time, but now we have a surplus 
So if we do have a downturn in the economy, we can tap into those reserves as well and won't have to penalize our, our employers. Uh, you, you look at what's happened on the healthcare side, putting reserve in some of these, um, because because we, we do have a growing state, so we do have to pay for these Medicaid reserves to be able to plan and strategically lay out a budget knowing that that, that if something does go wrong or, or, or we do have more folks on Medicaid than what are expected, we can actually tap into those reserves. The, the next one is is what you just mentioned, the rainy day reserve, the overall savings account. Um, we, we, we got criticized for, for putting close to $2 billion in that, in that rainy day reserve. But I'll tell you, um, if we would have an economic downturn, our state is in such a fiscal great shape that that we would not have to raise taxes we would not have to make drastic cuts to our budget we could tap into our reserves weather the storm and then when times turn back good we can move forward representative john bell house majority leader of uh, the north carolina house of representatives uh, thank you so much for sharing these insights with us and we will look forward to having you back on for update and a progress report program has been produced by Jason Kong, who uh, will have another interesting guest for us next week on the same group of stations across North Carolina. If you'd like to hear a repeat of this broadcast or share it with a friend, you can go online to carolinanewsmakers.com. That's carolinanewsmakers.com. So to next week, same time, same station, all across North Carolina. Have a nice week, everybody. Carolina Newsmakers is a production of NCN and is heard each week on a network of North Carolina's leading radio stations. To hear a repeat of this broadcast, go to carolinanewsmakers.com. Carolina Newsmakers is produced by Jason Kong. Network engineer is Alan Sherrill. I'm Scott Fitzgerald inviting you to join us again next week, same time, for Carolina Newsmakers. Newsmakers.